Sean Pesh from Ranmore Funds, one of the top money managers in the world. Nice to hear that, isn't it, Sean? He's with us again today to give us his latest insights. And that's not an exaggeration, Sean. We're seeing your funds uh, pop up all over the place now in the performance tables. Nice to see that uh, that you're getting that recognition, but are you getting the recognition from the investing public? Are the, are the tribe allocating gazillions of rands to you? Alec, well, look, that's very kind of you. Thank you. And, you know, I've been in this uh, in this game, for want of a better word, long enough to know that you never get complacent and you never think you know it all because the minute you do, boy, that's when you're going to get uh, knocked off your perch. Um, and it's obviously not just me. I've got a fabulous team. Um, and we're certainly getting a lot of recognition over here, which is encouraging to see. And and I think one of the things that I've spent most of our most of my time focusing on is marketing to South Africa and ignoring this market, this huge market here on our doorstep. And you know, there's some twenty one trillion, uh, yeah, twenty one trillion pounds. I think I'm right in saying managed. You got you got wealth managers over here, fifty billion plus pounds. There's some huge numbers, and so so people are starting to take notice. And I think what's um, What's really helped this year is there was a sense, oh well, value had its little run. Let's, uh, you know, those those that game's over. Um, but and that was a couple of years ago. But we've managed to do really well this year, and you know, substantially better than value and the market actually, uh, which has been led by growth. And so we've been able to do well without having the AI and the fangs and all of those guys that have really driven the market. So. So I think people are taking notice of that, and um, it's an exciting place to be. And uh, yeah, and it's and it's just the most amazing. I mean, I was just making a few notes as to what we could possibly talk about today. You know, every day you come to work is something different, and that's what makes it exciting. And so, um, so yeah, loving it. And uh, you know, but you've had I've had the stressful times, so that's all good. You know, there's some just around the corner, so we'll just we'll just roll with the punches. Yeah, I was reading something this morning which said that uh, we have challenges in our lives so that we can grow. Imagine how else you can grow if there were no challenges, if life was just a smooth sailing. And certainly you're a veteran now, I guess you could call it, in, in money management. And before people get a bit confused, you based in the UK, have been for many years. You clearly are South African by accent and by training and uh, Alan Graves, Simon Murray, uh, all of that kind of, heritage that you have and you do come to our conference and you give us your insights you're going to be back at the Biz News Conference uh, big one in March next year but interesting to hear that it's taken this long to to get recognized in that huge UK market why? Because I have to well, I guess because I'm in charge of marketing but I haven't um, <laughs> <laughs> Alec I, I haven't focused here you know, you, it's always been thinking, well, hang on, I know the guys back home and they maybe they relate to me better. And you always sort of think, well, I didn't go to the fancy schools over here and that it's going to be tougher to break in. But actually, that's been an error of mine. And it's taken me a long time to figure that out. And, uh, and the UK is a very cosmopolitan place. And, and people are actually quite welcoming. And I don't know why I thought otherwise, um, but uh, but it's good to see. And I'm going to share a funny story with you. you know, obviously, both our children were born here, but my son was working at, the, at a golf club over the university holidays, 
And there was a South African chap who came up and he says to him, uh, Anthony says to him, so are you South African? And the guy goes, yeah. So he says, well, I'm also South African. Okay, he's born here. And his bar manager turned to him and said, that is, you're South African. That is the poshest South African accent I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so very much South African, um, you know, and, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's great to, to be in touch and all the rest. So, yeah, good, but having fun. Well, we, we never lose our, our blood, our heritage, um, and, no, we, and don't. we have our challenges, but my goodness, we're growing through them. From your side, though, having a look at the markets, because that's really where the action is, and that's the, the, the purpose of this conversation. By the way, we haven't spoken as often as we should be doing, so uh, I think that's both of our, of our problems on that one. We'll fix that in future, but uh, things are very turbulent. Our business portfolio was swimmingly well because we, it is an exponential portfolio and there's had two very rough months uh, where I think it's a drop of about 10% in the growth stocks over this period. From your side though, you've, you've ridden it up even though you aren't focused on growth and you're still riding it up despite the changes that we're seeing now. So what's your secret power? Um, you know, it's Alec. I've just I tell you what, top tip I can give you this this um, this episode is I've just finished a I've nearly finished a book called um, Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green, and I recommend everybody read it. And this chap William Green interviews the top money managers from John Sir John Templeton and you know, Monish Pabri and all those guys. Okay, and it's really interesting, and I think it's it's a you know, it's a great. Great read. So what, what's the what's the the secret sauce? And um, we bottom up investors. You know, we're not. Uh, and and the interesting thing is, just on that, you know, people often ask, "What do you think about macro? What's going to happen with inflation? What's going to happen with interest rates and all the rest?" And I asked uh, a money manager the other day, a, a consultant who's interviewing me, and I said, "What percentage of macro calls do you think people get right?" And I said, "Do you think it's fifty percent?" He said, "It's way lower." So I said, you know what's interesting is by being a bottom-up investor and not taking a macro call, because we don't really make macro calls and guess where inflation is going to be, which most people do. Okay? Um, but if the most people guess what's going to happen on the macro side and only get it right, let's say, gratuitously 50%, and I'm not taking the macro call, but I'm taking advantage of the bottom-up stocks, by default, I'm getting it right 50%. So let me give you an example. If people are guessing that that Oil price is going to fall. You're going to have a recession. Oil price is therefore going to fall. And I'm buying these oil stocks, you know, last year or whatever it was, um, at at the lows. And the oil price doesn't fall. Well, I've got a bargain. If the oil price does fall, well, I've got I've I, it was in the price. Do you see the asymmetry? Yeah, you know, people thought there's going to be a, a, a recession in Europe, and so they were selling European stocks, um, and and we we're picking up these bargains. And guess what? There wasn't a recession in Europe. And and so we got these bargains. But so our default call, you know, you might have said, oh, well, you made a, a, a macro call that that there wasn't going to be a recession in Europe. We did by default. And so we got these stocks at the, at the lows. But had there been a recession, well, we bought them low anyway. So that is the beauty of it. Do you see what I mean? But it's it's amazing how markets are constantly changing. And, you know, you just look at some of the factors driving them now. You know, a week ago, two weeks ago, we weren't really worrying about the U.S. shutdown. Now there's a risk. You got some rogue Republicans. You know what's going to happen? They're going to. It's all supposed to kick off on the first. 
So you've got oil back at $94. Well, not long ago, everyone was celebrating inflation coming down. And therefore, and so what were people doing? They were, you know, and this is what most people try and do. They say, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to guess interest rates. Because if we guess interest rates, that'll tell us what to do with the tech stocks. Now, how do we guess interest rates? Well, we've got to guess inflation. So let's all focus on inflation. Inflation's coming down, inflation's coming down, great. Interest rates are going to come back down. That's good for tech. And that's what you see, you know, throw in the AI. Well, guess what? Inflation has come down historically. Now you've got oil back at $94. So what's going to happen to forward inflation? Maybe it's going to be higher. And maybe even if you've got the inflation core right, okay, inflation is going to come down. Well, it hasn't helped interest rates. The 10-year in the US is close to 5%. It hasn't been that level since 2007. And if if I can go and put, if I can go and invest in a 10-year government bond in the US at 5%, or at 48 you know, why would I want to buy Microsoft yielding 2%? If they gave me all their earnings as dividends, I'd be buying Microsoft in a 2.3% dividend yield. That's all their earnings, 100% payout. Okay. That's half of the government bond in the US. Now you say, okay, well, because Microsoft's going to grow. Well, it better grow because if it doesn't, it's got a lot of downside. It's got a half to be equal to the 10 year, and the same for Apple and the same for all these things. So I think interest rates are going to be a big factor. And I think people have been, you know, ignoring that, focusing on inflation. It's get inflation done. If it does, it's come down. And well, now, now you've got the oil price throwing a spanner in the works. So let's see, we've got bad weather. What's that going to do to food prices? You know, so, um, so the market's always got, uh, always, you know, and then you've got things like the FTC case against Amazon. You've got Microsoft spending most of their cash buying Activision. Uh, and you've got, yeah, and you've got huge concentration. So you now look at the market and you say, everybody is overweight the US because it's 70% of the world index. Within that, everybody is overweight tech stocks because Apple and Microsoft are 25% of the NASDAQ 100. So if everybody's already there, who's the marginal buyer? I mean, who doesn't know that Microsoft's a wonderful company and Alphabet's a wonderful company and all the rest? Who is the marginal buyer? Because retail, interestingly, Retail, um, this is one of the first dips in a long time that retail have not been putting their money to work. And maybe it's because they've been, they've got blown out the water buying these one day option expire, you know, zero, um, what's it, one day to expiry options. And if you, so those are basically, yeah, you know, it's going to the roulette table, put the money on black, that black doesn't come up, you've lost everything. So there's lots of factors. Um, and what's interesting to me, Alec, is if you look at the market, so the market year to date is up 10.5%. And growth is way ahead of value. Growth's up, you have 20, quality's up 17, value's up two. But month to date, you know, value's down, excuse me, three, and growth's down six and a half, and quality's down nearly six. So you've had a complete reversal. And and all these people who look back and go, well, if it's tough times, what happens is um, growth and quality always outperform at tough times. Well, we've had a tough month or two and what's happened to that so maybe that's turned on its head so you know market doesn't sit still if you look at regions north america's up 11 asia is up one and a half but this month you know world is uh, north america's down five asia's only down two and a half who's talking about asian stocks it's so interesting but i i want to maybe move it to a, a different area that we've never really spoken about i had a um I read a, an incredible speech actually by a guy called David Ansara 
who's the new chief executive of the Free Market Foundation. It's on business as well worth reading, where he unpacks the South African situation and then talks about the disruption and making yourself state-proof in that the way we always used to think Pretoria will provide is over. Uh, and, and perhaps Pretoria or perhaps South Africa is ahead of the curve here in that this is, the, this is a dysfunctional government, it's a failing state, et cetera, and, and as an individual, you have to do things differently. But what about the investment markets? The way that you've articulated it, this has to be ripe for disruption. If you, if you think the point is some guy, some economist at some big corporation makes a call on interest rates, that then seeps all the way through that organization who's managing your money but the chance is he's only going to get it 50% right if he's lucky because no one knows the future, especially in these big issues. Even Warren Buffett says, I don't look at the big terms. Surely that would mean that as people become better informed, as they understand more about performances, as they understand more about the people that they give their money to, i.e. like Rand Moore, like yourself, they will move their investment decisions or adjust them in a different way. And I, I can just take your example, and I know it's, it's uncomfortable being the person discussed here, but think of Magnus Haystick. He's a completely independent financial advisor. That's why I love Magnus so much. He says it as he sees it, and he will, he, he's, he's beholden to nobody. He's put a, quite a lot of money, of his clients' money, into Ranmore because he's seen Sean Pesh, he's seen what you're doing, he's seen the performance that you're doing, and, and he's done so. He's, he's made that call. What I, my question here is, surely there are lots more Sean Peshers around, lots more Ranmores around, who are going to be these boutique funds who, who are outperforming because they, they're not being told by head office what they have to buy and sell. And that disruption, which we've seen in government, we've seen it in big business, is that coming to big money? Alec, I hope so. The problem is we've had disruption the other way. We've had the disruption of the passives. You know, and the passives in our fifty percent, and and there's uh, you'll know Howard Marks. He always talks about first level thinking and second level thinking, okay? And which I really like. And whenever we're looking at a at a company and all the rest, you go, well, that's what the market's saying. That's first level thinking. What's the second level? We've got to dig a bit deeper. Always got to do that. And what's the first level thinking on passives? Most active managers underperform their benchmark, okay, by the fees. Therefore, we must go for passives. But what's the second level? Well, that's been an easy call in the last 10 years because the markets have gone up. Okay. And it doesn't, if you just performed in line with the benchmark in a rising market, fabulous. You got wealthy and you got wealthy in real terms because interest rates were low. But who wants to perform in line with a falling benchmark? Okay. That's the second level thinking because benchmarks don't only go up. And what happens if that benchmark is crazy as it was? A couple of years ago when you had Zoom and Peloton and you know Beyond Meat and PayPal and Wind Farms and all these things, these themes that sort of captured everybody's imagination and drew these, drew these uh, you know, of course I underperformed there. But was that a sensible use of money to just throw it in there and say, well, you know, let's let's perform in line with that? I mean, you you think about a I was thinking the other day about a property investor. Can you imagine speaking to a private property investor and, and you say, Well, how do you make your money? No, I build, you know. Apartment blocks. You go, well, you know, what's the exposure to shopping centers? And you go, well, no, that's not my game. I focus on apartment blocks. You have a shopping centers in the property benchmark. What, what's your exposure to warehouses? No, I don't do that. Oh, that's in the benchmark. You got to have it because it's in the benchmark, in this whole benchmark thing. Now, the problem is 
um, for boutiques is there's been massive pressure on feeds. And and so you boutiques, you're small, you know, you have to, uh, so you've had massive pressure on fees. Some of the fees are fixed because we pay out external directors and um, and money laundering risk officer and, you know, legal and audits and all that sort of stuff. Those are fixed costs. And you'll pay those directors, those fees, whether you're $100 million, you're a billion dollars. Is it the same fee? But at $100 million, those those directors' fees are, are more as a bigger percentage of your annual fee. And so with this focus on fees and focus on, uh, because driven by the passes, well, I can go buy MS, uh, S&P 20 bips or whatever the number is, you know, it's been tough for the boutiques and so few have survived and few, and the ones that have have probably been growth guys. You know, you people forget that Fundsmith was once upon a time $50 million or Slinsel Trains, $50 million. These guys all grew out of boutiques. And how big are they now? Um, oh, I mean, Fundsmith was last time I checked 25 billion pounds. Linzel Trade, I think it was like 8 billion pounds. You know, these are massive. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, so they did something slightly different. So, but, but if you look at the, all the evidence suggests that boutiques outperform the large fund managers. Because, and especially, I would argue, I think I'd make the strong case for this going forward because, because, because the large caps is what's driven the performance. And the big fund managers are stuck in the large caps. They can't go and buy a Amasuno or a, you know, AECI or whatever. You know, these, these, that's where the value is because the passives have all been market cap weighted. So they've all driven up Apple and Microsoft and all those guys, ignoring the little guys. Um, I did a, I did a, a webinar recently in South Africa, which is quite interesting. And we looked at, um, I looked at Walmart. And if I said to you, Alec, what, what earnings growth do you think Walmart's had over the last 10 years? Uh, it might surprise you to know that the earnings per share growth has only been 2% compound per annum. Okay, 2%. Yeah. And, and that has been helped by buybacks. The share price is up 8%. And so that means, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but that means that basically it's doubled. So the share, so the price earnings multiple has gone from from fourteen to thirty. So people are paying thirty times earnings for Walmart. That is historically grown earnings at two percent, and that's when interest rates were low and people could go and buy stuff. You know, if you look at the fastest part of what's growing within Walmart, it's grocery. And you go and look at a company like Kroger, which is the second largest food retailer in the U.S. They have grown earnings at twelve percent. Not to twelve, and the share price has also gone up at the same rate. So the share price hasn't re-rated. And what does that mean? Well, it means you were paying eleven times earnings for Kroger ten years ago, and you're still paying eleven times earnings for Kroger. So you look at it, you go, well, do I want to pay thirty times earnings for a big, you know, giant that actually has made some terrible calls? If you look at macro and you look at some of these other things, um, and pay thirty times earnings for a business that's not really growing, I could pay eleven times. For a business that has historically grown much faster and is exposed to the fastest growing today, and if the poor boy hits the fan, well, we still got to eat. And and that is the kind of opportunity that's out there in the small and the mid caps that the big guys can't take advantage of, and that is why boutiques should outperform uh, the big guys. Yeah, Sean. Before we go, I'd really like to get your thoughts on banking, and the reason for this is that Koki Koiman, who we both know, tells us that banking stocks are at their cheapest ever. But thinking about it, banks are also the area where there's the most disruption. You have fintechs coming at them from all angles. They've got to be affecting the, the, the banking opportunity or the, the, the profits into the future. 
The reason why banking shares are the same place that they are were 10 years ago is because they haven't been growing their profits. What's your thought on that? Do you look at that and say, I don't care, it's extremely good value, I'm buying them at a price to book of one or slightly over one, they're going to come back at some point in time? Or is there this disruptive force that is so powerful and has to be so powerful that it's you can't really look at what used to happen in the past as a good barometer for the future. No, Alec, they're nowhere near one. We've got banks in the portfolio at 0.35 times book value, okay, which means that if they just, you know, shut up shop, collected their debts, paid the creditors, you'd, you'd make multiples of your money. And these are big European banks. Now, they haven't grown because interest rates have been next to nothing, and that is their price. So, I mean, you know, we've got a mortgage on our house. I pay 0.97%, which has been fixed for five years. And, and so you, you look at this. If somebody wants to lend you money at 1% for five years, you take it, okay, because you can be better than that elsewhere. Um, and so, so interest rates be low, and that is why they have battled to grow. That's you know, possibly very difficult for them to grow, but some of them have. And I'm talking about Western markets. Okay. Um, but I think they're good businesses because if you think about it, you've got annuity income. If, if people are borrowing money from, to buy from, uh, you know, from banks, they know what they're going to earn in interest for the next 20 years. Okay. Apple doesn't know how many iPhones they're going to sell next quarter. And you guess what? You're going to pay your mortgage before you buy your holiday or pay for your iPhone. So people, I think, think they've been terrible businesses, but they shouldn't be. I mean, there are bad ones, like Credit Suisse, you know, went bust because it was badly managed. But if you think about it, if you look at the age, some of these banks, and I remember the late, great Simon Marais used to say this, he said some of the oldest businesses in the world are banks. So they can't be that bad. Now, what about the disruption? Well, I mean, have a look at the price of PayPal and tell me how damaging that's been. And actually, if anything, Banks can use technology to their advantage. Look at the apps. When last did you go into, into a branch? I haven't been in for a long time. So they can actually use technology and will be able to use things like uh, chat GPT. You know, you go onto these apps and you, you want some assistance. Well, you've got a bot that's helping you through most of the way. So they can use technology. I think the FinTech, you know, we've had everybody has been throwing money at this FinTech. Um you know, you've had the media companies, the NASPESs, the banks, the insurance, et cetera. Everyone's been trying to crack the code. Go and have a look at the share price of Ad yet. I think it's down like 15% this year. And they're supposedly one of the big disruptors in terms of the payments. So, so I think that's more of a perce- perceived fear than actual fear. I, I mean, I still use a bank. I pay use my app, et cetera. I've got annuity income. I'm buying, I mean, AB and AMRO is on, you know, half book value, 10% dividend yield and five times earnings. Compare that to what I was saying just now with Microsoft. Now, is Microsoft a better business? It's certainly perceived as being a better business. I mean, it's rated as a much better business. But I've got a, I haven't got a two percent dividend yield from Microsoft. I've got, a, I'd only have a two percent dividend yield if they paid out all the earnings. And yet, I've got a ten percent on AB and AMRO, and that's not paying out all the earnings. So, um, you know, so but but they've been ignored, and that's what I'm saying. The market always changes. Okay, and people who looking back in the last ten. You know, who drives a car? You don't drive your car looking in your rearview mirror unless you're, on a, unless you're going in reverse or you're on a very straight road. Well, we're not on a straight road, and I don't want to go in reverse. So, um, yeah, so I agree with Corky. I'm pleased to say. Sean Pesh from Randmore Funds, and I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.